kicked in and broke out back door. <laughs> we'll just go ahead and start it off. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. So a brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by new news and our new segment, Triple Junction. Our main discussion will include beaches, barrier islands, and lagoons. Between the bars of our discussion, we will present to you another Mineral Minute, and before signing off, we will close things out with another That Freaking Rocks. A big thank you to all of our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs, both to our new listeners and to our returning listeners alike, and for spending your time with us each week. If you'd like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas, answers your wanting answered or if you fancy being a guest or just to tell us about all the times we were wrong you can reach out to us at geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram at geology on the rocks podcast so it looks like things are squared away over here so without further ado to all of you over there i am your host james the geologist and i'm brian baggins and this is geology, geology on, on the, the rocks. rocks hell yeah <laughs> I, I think we're gonna say that every time just because yeah. i think you made it such a point <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mess it up. So, hey, man, how's it going? Another week. Yeah, it was, man. How how was your week? Hey, I'm going to tell you what. So, I so I recently had a birthday last Thursday. Yeah. yeah happy, it was, it was, happy late birthday. Yeah. So, and then I spent the day doing homework. That's like my Thursday rituals to do homework for my class. And then about four o'clock, I get this email from the Tarrant County saying, hey, we have extra vaccines. You need to be at Globe Life by 5 p.m. <laughs> press yes to confirm or press two to cancel. And I was like, there's no way. Like I have class, you know, and I was like, yeah. no, I'm going to make it. So I was like, what do I do? Do I cancel? Do I, I don't. So I just, I left it. I let it be. And then I got a, a follow-up text the next day saying, Hey, well, there was such a, a, a turnout, but we still have extra. So come tomorrow. So I went and got my first, nice. my first vaccination. That's great. I got the Pfizer. Yeah. And man, they were, they were not lying whenever they said that that shot hurts. It does. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was like, you know, I like, I've had like crazy shots yeah. being in the military. I've had the, the anthrax smallpox and like you name it I probably had it but I was like yeah they give the shot and I was like that's not bad not bad even like uh, a couple <laughs> hours later I was like not bad and then it was like I was starting to go to like band practice and I was like uh oh and it kind of hurts so I like kept taking Tylenol but that night I woke up and I was like god dang it and it like hurt really yeah it just I don't know dang man mm -hmm. yeah I've heard so many different stories on it and I've heard this so the Pfizer you still have to get two right yeah yeah but the unlike the Moderna the the Pfizer one it's three weeks Moderna's four Oh, okay. So I, yeah, so a little, well, a little less time. Get the really bad second. Yeah, shot. I hope not. I, I like. I'm, I'm thinking if you get it really bad after that second one, maybe you've had COVID before. So yeah. did you have like double? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how that works. Yeah. But how was your week? It was good. Still cranking away on the tracking on the new album. We're pretty much there. That's um, nice. Yeah, I heard I heard you sent me some samplings of it. It's I, I like it. I like yeah. the story going. Now yeah. that you gave me a context yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, we're really kind of getting away from a traditional rock band at this point. But you still had rocky elements. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. I feel like it was, I was like, what? okay, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like with that, yeah. you're even like, I think yours is more like a concept album where it kind of like all ties together rather right. than, you know, you just 
just send me like one of these songs and I'm like, well, usually I don't know where your songs start and end, but <laughs> yeah, you don't. <laughs> just, I'm just messing around. No, no, no. I've, we've heard that a lot. Um, but yeah, we did that. I'm really cranking down and studying for the PG right now. Yes. And I took a practice test last night and I got a 55. Man. So how, how, how much different is it? It's completely different than the FG. Yeah. Like, the FG is very like, you should know all of your branches of geology, all the science. You mean your GIT? Yeah, sorry. Like they call it the FG. Okay. It's the fundamentals, but you get a GIT okay. with it. But that one's more like, hey, you should know your depositional environments. You should know your petrology, mineralogy, paleo uh, maps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know any of that. Well, this is all like, hey, you do need to do drawdown test on wells and like <laughs> then you need to like see how fast a contaminant can get through an aquifer of with this characteristics. Hey, but we did talk about flushing rates last week. We did. But you know what I, I the <laughs> question I got right was in brackish conditions. Okay. And it was like the something hooks, the Gibson hook. Okay. What, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We talked about it, but it was like where the interface is. Yeah. I got that one right. Nice. Thanks to geology on the rocks. <laughs> well, hey, we, we're here to answer one question on <laughs> yeah. any kind of examination. That's, we don't know what it is. Yeah. We're, hey, we're, it might be a mineral like yeah. <laughs> the mineral minutes. <laughs> yeah. One of the, if, I swear to God. If Adel see me. <laughs> anal see me. <laughs> or would you move the light? Oh my God. I'll just, I'll get kicked out because I'll just start <laughs> laughing. Or if you hear other people laughing, you'll be like, they listen to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. That yeah. Was, that okay. Was that's okay. That, I think that's good. So um, do you want to, yeah, let's get into a little bit of Triple Junction then there, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So um, for Fanfare, special shout out for this week goes to our listeners. I'm going to mess this up. Thalia? Yeah. <laughs> From <laughs> France. Hey. And Jillian. Um, thanks for reaching out to us. We really like to hear from everyone, you know, whether you hate our podcast or you love it, we like to hear it all. So thanks for taking time to listen and reach out. Yeah. And if you're afraid to, uh, answer calls to debate, like, oh yeah, <laughs> like some people, we have. I don't know if we know, but oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. cheers. Cheers. Yeah. All right. Oh, that was a good one. So yeah. we got another question, Brian, and this one has to do with, uh, your favorite, not, well, I guess not your favorite, <laughs> favorite, I guess your second favorite barometric pressure. Oh, and I know yay. we kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, and, and they want to know how it is calculated based on pounds per square inch. Okay. And then I guess I can take this one unless you want to. No, you, you can go ahead. That's okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Brian. Brian. Okay. Okay. So atmospheric pressure, right? So I, we've had this conversation before and mm -hmm. it's, it's also barometric pressure is also called atmospheric pressure, which is simply just, I guess, this force per unit area exerted by the atmospheric column. That is, if you look up to the tippy top of the sky, the entire body of air above us pushing down on us, right? And where that's, mm -hmm. I guess, specified area. Area. Atmospheric pressure can be, it can be measured with a mercury barometer. We saw that with Torricelli and how he came up with it. Henceforth, uh, the commonly used synonym of barometric pressure, right? So which indicates the height of a column of mercury that exactly balances the weight of the column of atmosphere over the barometer. And then this atmospheric pressure is expressed in several different systems of units, like everything, you know, <laughs> like yeah. we always go in between like miles per hour and then we're like, oh, it's kilometers away. So it's, yeah, it's confusing, but we can use <laughs> millimeters or inches of mercury. We can use pounds per square inch, PSI, dynes per square centimeter, millibars, standard atmospheres or kilopascals. So it's all standard sea level pressure by definition. And so it's all it's so we calibrate it off of sea level and at sea level, it equals 766 millimeters of mercury. Or you can think of it 
as 29.92 inches of mercury and then 14.7 pounds per square inch. I'd like to just contribute and say that we should keep in mind that atmospheric pressure is measured as an absolute pressure, which is zero referenced against a perfect vacuum using an absolute scale. So it's equal to the gauge pressure plus the atmospheric pressure. Yeah, it seems like that would make sense of how it works. Yeah. So an absolute scale, like to define that as a system of measurement that begins at a minimum or zero point and progresses in only one direction, an absolute scale would differ that from like an arbitrary or relative scale, which begins at some point and that person that's observing this can progress it in both directions. An absolute scale begins at a natural minimum, leaving only one direction in which to progress. That's that's so science of you, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, I know, science. Yeah, so the the idea is Torricelli, he documented that the height of the mercury in a barometer changed slightly each day and concluded that this was due to the changes in pressure in the atmosphere. He wrote in his little journal that we live submerged at the bottom of an ocean of elementary air, which is known by incontestable experiments to have weight. Inspired by Torricelli, this guy named Otto von Greek? Yes, <laughs> um, and in 1660 found that air pressure was unusually low and predicted a storm. And then what happened the next day? A thunderstorm happened. Mm. Right. So, but basically the idea of, I know we, you know, we can complicate things, but it's basically <laughs> going from inches of mercury to pounds per square inch is just simply, I guess, a, a, a conversion. Cause I know they use it in different things like altimeter, like, you know, up in airplanes. Yeah. Because uh, it, 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 it matters where you're at, you know, kind of this whole idea. But we know from calculated values that one inch of mercury is equal to 3,386.39 pascals. And one PSI equals 6,894.7 pascals. So we can get this equation, right? So if the inches of mercury value times the the pascals that equals equals, I guess it is. I mean, it's basically we're cross multiplying it. So uh, yeah. knowing either the inches of mercury or the pounds per square inch value, we can cross multiply to get an example. So a simple conversion for that, just the simplest equation. So if you wanted to know the inches of mercury, if you had a, a PSI value, right? So uh, you would multiply it by two. Point oh three six zero two because that's basically the that six thousand eight ninety four number divided by the three thirty yeah. eight six number. So or either way, like if you had your inches, you yeah, you, you just, just divide it. You divide yeah. it by half, right? Yeah, basically mm-hmm. half, right? So it, it can get a little more in depth if we account for temperature of the mercury, right? And all of that, the above equation when we had that values, it was calculated at zero degrees Celsius. So that's for another discussion, and we won't do oh, that. Gosh. But temperature messes everything up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, t- temperature and pressure right yeah. but i guess we're talking about pressure but it's a force exerted so whatever yeah. but don't you love how we can take just seemingly easy <laughs> questions and just make it harder than it really needs to be i mean we could have just said like yeah just an equation like you either yeah. divide it by two or you <laughs> multiply by two i'm sure whoever maybe if someone needed this for a test they're like yeah that didn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like well, you damn tangents <laughs> yeah. damn tangents all right well then i guess we shall move on to new news we will go over here to 
Anyways, just the background music. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, the epicenter of this story comes to us from New Zealand, and it focuses on earthquakes that rocked the nation. <laughs> you see what I did there <laughs> yeah, with the yeah. how, how many how many earthquake <laughs> words are in that one? Epicenter, focus, earthquakes. I guess rocked. Whatever. Yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> so I, ca- I can't even imagine <laughs> this, man. All right. So get this on on my birthday at two twenty seven a.m. March fourth, yeah. a seven point three magnitude earthquake rocked just east of the North Island. Right. Then four hours later, a 7.4 magnitude tremor was recorded at the Kermadec Islands. Mm-hmm. Then, <laughs> right, an 8.1 magnitude earthquake was recorded two hours later. Then, and I say then, and, <laughs> and then, then local time, at their local time, 12 12 local time, a 6.5 aftershock was recorded. Right. And then not to mention like all the tsunami yeah. warnings that would be issued all across the Pacific. But good Lord, man, that's. <sighs> dude. It's so, a lot of shaking. Yeah, so like I think like the the big earthquakes that they had like at Christchurch and like all the other ones like those were sixes and sevens and yeah. it and it's it I can't even imagine like those like and then <laughs> just all of those back to back right so yeah. that's a lot of earthquake magnitudes in such a little time that's what I wrote so this is coming off the hills you know I think uh, in 2019 there was that deadly volcanic eruption on White Island yeah uh, 48 kilometers off the coast killing 21 people and did, injuring 24 but did anyone die in any of these I I didn't read a follow up to this I just yeah. I remember it just popping up and I was just like that seems like an awful lot of earthquakes 7.4 so 8.1 6 7.2 yeah. I'm like god dang and then the tsunamis that like will come after it's yeah just, I, I I was reading like some reports they were saying like off the you know after it happened they were people <clears throat> would go to the beach and then like they could see all the water receding because mm. it's like that's what happens before yeah so Ugh. I don't yeah. I'll have to follow up on that but that's freaky yeah cool well my first <laughs> I'm, I'm dipping back in kind of into my biological stories but yes I'll start with uh 3d printing of organs okay like okay so you're talking about like the musical uh no <laughs> that you play fugues on <laughs> i think they can already do that yeah i'm but, sure they could. um basically they started now making hands out of this like poly gel like it's like the big 3d printing machines right yeah but they've found a way to do it a lot faster so that they can stronger yeah that and That's it can like I'm just, this might be I, I, got, I knew what you were doing. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but they can now, like, they think that they're on the verge of creating capillaries, like being able to create those. Oh, really? Within the cellulose fabric of this. Whatever. Okay. So yeah. then you can start getting, I guess, blood distribution. Yeah. I guess that. And so they think we're like a big step in the direction of printing organs. Okay. So yeah. like if I guess when people go into renal failure, like they can get their kidneys. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it says like this method is basically suitable for printing cells with embedded blood vessel networks. God, that's just that's, that's <laughs> ridiculous. That blows my mind. Yeah. Like, Okay, so this is about all I have that I prepared for my third story, but it's probably good for the sake of brevity. And but I kept on the earthquake theme. Okay. And then another article that popped up on my newsfeed was Icelandic earthquake swarms. So I think um, they measured in a week, like they had over like fifteen hundred earthquakes wow. in this one region, which is it's not really like uncommon for I guess well, in in Iceland. Hmm. But what they were saying is is like is this going to lead to I guess this massive oh. um, I guess volcanic yeah. outpouring after that? So. I guess that's what they're Oof. they're worried about. I think some volcanologist and I guess seismologists there like it could lead to a hundred year kind of event where you'd have just like continuous like lava domes and yeah. just outpourings of lava. Because we know right there it's not a, a hot spot, right? It, yeah. it, it's a spreading sea, right. so or a spreading floor, not sea. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that is news from Iceland Oof. and what I got for you. So I, 
All right. Can't wait for your. This is, <laughs> this is what we're all been waiting for. Hold yeah. on. Hold on. Let us get to. <laughs> oh, we don't have a drum roll, but we should. This is as close as you're getting to a. Uh, oh. A drum. <laughs> That's mine. Okay. Well, they have been studying sea slugs and they noticed. Now, I don't know how, how they figured this out. Like, I, I, <laughs> I assume they did not, like, uh, go through this experiment knowing that they should do this, but they found out that decapitated sea slugs will grow new bodies. Uh, okay. <laughs> Like, so, so I doubt they like cut one of those. Like that would be inhumane, right? Well, so. I, don't, I don't. Is it? It's I guess, but it's not. Slugs aren't human. N- well, no, but like we say inhumane. I know, for, like, uh, but I know, but like we use. I mean, we kill them with like a whole bunch of different. Like we eat. Them. Like yeah, I get any it. poor. Salt but we don't like like. Ha ha! Let me chop this. Well, in the name of science, I guess. Yeah. Well, anyways, they they chopped. They didn't chop. They just found out that these slugs that lose their bodies, the body will just lay there dead and. And then the, the head will start crawling around it. And they kept watching them in laboratories and the, in the appropriate environment, basically. And they started growing a body. And then they were normal snails again. Okay, so the the head portion grew a body, yeah. but the body did not grow yeah. a head. Because I was thinking, like, could you imagine if, like, you decapitated and then it's just, like, <laughs> grew another it, head. They, No, like, that, they both yeah. just, like, multiplied. Yeah, oh, now crazy. there's two of them. And then you kill yeah. them. And now there's, you know, four. Well, yeah, and this is weird because, like, you, we know that, like, planarians can do that, right? Yeah. Um, and different worms. Um, I think there's, like, sea squirts <laughs> can also do that. <laughs> but uh, none of those have hearts, right? And yeah. so... Um, Are you sh- I don't know. Yeah. Okay. They don't. They don't. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, could you tell a, a, I guess, a worm or an annelid its head from its butthole? It's like it just know. seems like there's one yeah, continuous it's, like it's weird. Coelom or yeah. stuff. They call it like the. I, I don't remember that lab. Remember zoology when we had to work yeah. with those things? Yeah, that was weird. But no, like these are like the first animals of its kind, at least that they know of. Okay, that do this. dude. That's that's pretty sick yeah. though. Like. Uh, the implications. So, yeah. I mean, can it survive? Like I, the slugs, I'm sure they do yeah. have hearts, though, right? Yeah, and so, like you know, they can uh, even if they get decapitated, they can still get ahead. <sighs> I love head. <laughs> All right. Well, on to. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> what a segue, Ryan. Well, on to episode 23. We go, uh, Mr. Baggins. So, I think this episode we named aptly "Some of a Beach." <laughs> Right. So, yeah. uh, so it segues away nicely from last week's discussion about estuaries and the interface between freshwater and the open seas and oceans. And for tonight, we're going to dive deep into beaches, lagoons, and barrier islands. Then we'll be getting into the, the marmars. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like to call them, marmar. So that's a marginal marine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Environment, but that's, which I think this really sets up nicely for kind of like the summation of kind of all this. So we've worked our way now. But next week, anyways, we have another guest, Dr. Greta Bowling, to come on with us and talk coral reefs. Yeah. But before we go uh, on to it, I present to you from last week another uh, poem. So, uh. poems by James. <laughs> well, this well this poem was <laughs> penned by Lewis Carroll in The Walrus and the Carpenter. It, it goes, the sea was wet at... It, okay, God, Jesus. Okay. The sea was wet as wet could be. The sands were dry as dry. You could not see a cloud because no cloud was in the sky. No birds were flying overhead. There were no birds to fly. The walrus and the carpenter were walking close at hand. They wept like anything to see such quantities of sand. 
If this were only cleared away, they said, it would be grand. This fine beach poem and first rate example of nonsense verse from Lewis Carroll about beaches. But anyways, I think it's going to lead us off into our discussion. How about you want to lead us off with a little bit of your knowledge? Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll take a step back from your beautiful literature uh, segment. Oh, you Uh, you wait till next week. It's longer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But to set the stage, the coastal regions are a very busy place. Humans have always been attracted to the coastal regions of the world for like mild climates. Can eat all the seafood. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ease of transportation, abundant recreational activities, and then other commercial benefits. All right. Just side note: What is your favorite seafood? Um, right now, the, since we were talking about slugs, uh, I really want some escargot. But it has to be like buttery, cheesy. It's amazing, man. So uh, my, I like I like all si- sorts of I guess seafood. But I, I like shrimp. I like shrimp cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> oh then, yeah. I mean that's great. So what was it? One day at dinner, like I think my kids were like, "I'll try, like you know this." Because like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll eat fifty at a time. It's like hum, hum, hum. I like I like like how it like cr- it's like Chris it like pops. Yeah. Anyways, but my kids they they were like, oh, I'll try one, and then the other one was like, Well, I'll try one too. And they and they took one bite, and then it was immediate. They were just like, Ugh. Uh. <laughs> but my youngest, like, he was trying to be brave, and he was just like kept like chewing it, and each with like each bite, he was like, Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Oh my god, that's. But awesome. anyways, it's delicious. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop population studies, for example, I guess they they reveal about like what you were saying about people moving there is like about 50% of the world's population. So this is over 3.5 billion with a B, right? That's the difference mm-hmm. between a billion and a million. Is <laughs> yes, it a, yes. a billion has two L's? Is that what I said that one time? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. so. But yeah, you were like, <laughs> and I was like, okay. And you're like, I've been misspelling it my whole life. It's it's the L's, it's the difference. But anyways, they live along coast and more than 80% of all Americans live within an hour drive of a coast of an ocean or of the Great Lakes. Yeah, I think it's like eight out of the 10 biggest cities are actually situated in coastal environments. And, and, and not only that, but about 95% of all fish caught in the ocean are obtained within close proximity. So I think it's roughly about 200 miles of the shore. So in addition, coastal waters support about 95% of all the total mass of life in the oceans. And these areas are constantly changing. Yeah. And that's because the waves are constantly crashing along most of the shorelines, probably like, what, 10,000 times a day? I think it's about. quite a bit. And, <laughs> yeah. that's, and it's not just like this one. I mean, it's all yeah, coast, right? It's yeah. just constantly just rolling right. and rolling. And so that, that's going to release energy from distant storms, and the waves will then cause erosion in areas, deposition in others, and that results in changes that occur, you know, hours hourly, daily, weekly, just timely, like, right, like all across all time spans, seasonally, yearly. So it's, it's always changing and morphing. Yeah. And I think with that, we thought it would be kind of this good idea to discuss the major features of beaches and shorelines, Mm -hmm. including the processes that kind of modify them. So James, how, how are coastal regions defined? I think that first let's talk about the shore. Hmm, For sure. Yeah, for sure. That's what I do to my (laughs) students all the time. We're like, they're like, you got the, 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 the shore, the near shore, <laughs> offshore, yeah. and then foreshore. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. 
picture. Anyways, <laughs> the shore is a zone that lies between the lowest tide level or low tide and the highest elevation on land that is going to be really affected by the storm waves. And then there's the coast, and that's going to extend inland from the shore as far as ocean-related features can be found. The width of the shore varies between a few meters and hundreds of meters. Yeah. Now, the, the width of the coast may vary from one kilometer to tens of kilometers. Okay, so there, there is some differentiation. Yeah. And then, yeah, with that, the, the coastline, uh, this marks the boundary between the shore and the coast. So it, it's the landward limit of the effect of the highest storm waves that can really affect the, the shore itself. Yeah, and in total, the coastline can be broken up into sections from left to right on that coastline, right? Yeah. So we have the coast, which can be, have a coastal bluff, a wave cut cliff, and the coastline. Okay, right. And then and then moving further towards the ocean, I guess, like we would have the, the beach itself. Mm-hmm. And, and when we talk about the beach, this is broken up into backshore, shore, and nearshore. And then to break that down a little bit, the backshore is where we have the berm. And it's, it's this area above the high tide shoreline and is only covered by water during storms. Yeah, that that berm is actually, it's it's also part of the margin between the backshore and what we call the foreshore. And it can change seasonally. Yeah. The foreshore is the area exposed at low tide and submerged at high tide, and it's it's also referred to as the intertidal zone uh, or, the, <laughs> or the littoral, littoralis, yeah, the shore. Yeah, zone. yeah. Literal. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, God, did I miss space? Right? Yeah. The literal? Uh, the littoral? I was just glad I didn't say something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we can really think of the shoreline as this oscillating, really this I guess back and forth interface that migrates back and forth of the water's edge during the, I guess, during the tidal movements in essence. So, so wait, the beaches shore is made up of foreshore and backshore, but the beach is made up of shore and near shore. <laughs> For sure. Again, <laughs> I guess I'm sure I, <laughs> I confused yet. I'm sure everyone's confused. Yeah. So I guess moving outward still in the beach, there is the near shore and then the near shore extends seaward from the low tide shoreline to the low tide breaker line. So it, it, it's important to note that th- this area is never exposed to the atmosphere. So if it's completely so that, you know, you have that berm, which which is kind of what we think of as that dry spot. Then you have the intertidal zone, but then we have this near shore. And this is going to be kind of that waiting, you know, mm. knee deep where it goes out to, uh, anyways, it, but it, it, it's affected by waves that touch the bottom. And I okay. think that's the important yeah. part. Okay. Well then I guess beyond the near shore, we have the offshore zone and that's going to be deep enough that waves, they don't really reach the bottom. If they do, it's very rare. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and correct. And if we think about beaches, there is a defined region of what what a beach actually is. And and that a beach is just the deposit area of the shore area in total. And it, it really consists of wave worked sediment that moves along the wave cut bench, which is just a flat wave eroded surface. And a beach may continue from the coastline across the near shore region to the line of breakers. So basically the beach is the entire active area of a coast that experiences changes due to the breaking waves. I think it would be important. This is a little different than the area of the beach above the shoreline, which we know is the recreational beach we all play on when we go on vacation. And this area is the berm or the dry, gently sloping, slightly elevated margin of the beach that can be found at the foot of coastal cliffs or sand dunes. And because the berm is normally composed of dry sand, 
it, it's you know that's mm-hmm. kind of why it's our favorite place for to go when we visit the beach yeah. and doing beach things is volleyball i love watching <laughs> people play volleyball yeah it's it's a good thing to space out on for a while yeah. <laughs> um so i'll just say like depositionally the beach face is the wet sloping mm-hmm. surface <laughs> and that <laughs> extends <laughs> From the yeah. berm to the shoreline. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's going to be more fully exposed <laughs> during the low tide. And it's also known as the low tide terrace. The beach face is like where all the runners will be because the sand's wet and hot. Hard and packed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving outwards beyond the beach face are are more longshore bars, which are basically sand that parallel the coast. So a, a longshore bar may not always be present throughout the year, but when one is, it may be exposed during when uh, during the low low tides. Mm. Yeah, and and the longshore bars can trip waves as they approach shore and cause them to begin breaking, separating the longshore bar from the beach face is what we call a longshore trough. Right, right. And then compositionally, beaches are really going to be made up of whatever materials locally available that we've beaten, you know, hopefully everyone out there with a, <laughs> we've beaten them to death with this. For example, <laughs> right, yeah. beaches, they're going to be composed of sand, she- seashells, Sally sells seashells, pebbles, cobbles, and rocks. So when <laughs> this material or sediment comes from the erosion of beach cliffs or nearby coastal mountains, beaches are composed of mineral particles from rocks and may be relatively coarse in texture. Yeah, and I would say from our previous discussions and other episodes, that would be more indicative of an active continental margin, Yeah, uh, like the west coast of the U.S. This would be opposite of sediment derived primarily from rivers that drain lowland areas, which would give the beaches a finer texture. Yeah. That's going to be like more what you see on the Gulf Coast or the East Coast in passive margins. And then often the mudflats develop along the shore because only tiny clay-sized and silt-sized particles are emptied into the ocean. So such is the case for muddy coastlines um, along the coast of like Suriname in South mm. America or Kerala coast of Southwest, South, Southwest India. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. the hell? Southwest <laughs> India. Yeah. That's awesome. Southwest. That was great. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so other beaches would have a significant biological component. For example, like in, in ro- low row relief. God, weird. <laughs> row, row, today. row relief. <laughs> in low relief, low latitude areas, such like southern Florida, there's no mountains or other sources of, of rocks, right? Of like, yeah. like igneous stuff. So we don't really have those minerals present. So as a result, these beaches and these areas are generally composed of shell fragments, broken coral in the remaining of organisms that live in the coastal waters. And then really many of these beaches, not these beaches, but many beaches on volcano islands in open oceans are composed of black or green fragments of basaltic lava that comprises the islands themselves or coarse debris from coral reefs that we'll get into next week that develop around the islands in low latitudes. Yeah. Regardless of the composition though, the, the material that comprises the beach does not really stay in one place very long. So the waves, they're going to come crashing along the shoreline into me baby (laughs) you know i like that song yeah it's not bad it's not bad so yeah (laughs) that shoreline is constantly morphing like we said earlier yeah so 
Beaches can be thought of as a material in transit along the shoreline. So have you have you heard of the band <laughs> Jack's Mannequin? Like right. So it's it's like my yes. favorite album of theirs. It's that called was, Everything was, in Transit. Yeah, that that was what something corporate became. Right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the lead singer. Yeah, yeah. So, but Everything in Transit. So okay. we can think of that album as beaches. Maybe they were geologists. <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> well, okay. So so how does the sand? Let's let's talk about that. How the sand actually moves on the beach. I think it's a great question that I did people may think of out there listening or may not think of and hopefully we can explain it in such a way that kind of makes sense so when we think of movement of sand on the beach occurs both perpendicular to the shoreline and then also parallel to it okay it's basically toward the shore and away from the shore and I guess I'd up coast and down coast directions yeah 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 okay okay. that was was a smooth recovery yeah (laughs) yeah you're absolutely (laughs) right so perpendicular movement sand on the beach moves perpendicular to the shore as a result of these breaking waves. And then as waves break, water rushes up the beach face towards the berm. And then what's happening is like some of the swash soaks into the beach and eventually returns it back out into the ocean. So Yeah, but most of the water, it, it drains away from the shores as backwash, right? Yeah. So though it's not usually before the next wave breaks and sends its Swash. <laughs> is that the right word? Backwash? Swash? <laughs> Sends it swash. swash. <laughs> yeah. Swash. No, sometimes okay. the swash soaks into the end. Okay. Okay. However, most of the water drains away from the shore as backwash, um, though not usually before the next wave breaks and sends its swash over the top of the previous wave's backwash. Yeah. And then and then we really need to take into account light versus heavy wave activity. I know we, we may or may have not talked about it with Dr. Osen, but during light wave activity, just characterized by less energetic waves, more of this swash soaks into the beach. So backwash is reduced. And then the, this swash dominates the, the transport system, therefore causes a net movement of the sand up the beach face towards the berm, which creates a wide, well-developed berm. And then during heavy wave activity, or dominated by high-energy waves, the beach is saturated with water from previous waves. So very little of the swash soaks into the beach. And the backwash, it dominates the transport system. Therefore, it basically causes a net movement of the sand down the beach face, which will erode the berm. Yeah, so I mean, that's the difference between like the, the summer beaches versus the winter beaches right with that energy in the environment and then we can think of when the wave breaks moreover the the incoming swash comes on top of the previous waves backwash effectively protecting the beach from the swash and adding to this whole net erosional effect of the backwash so so what's happening to the sand that's being eroded and i'm I'm really glad that you brought that up so the orbital motion in waves is too shallow to move the sand very far offshore and this this is really causing the sand to accumulate just beyond Beyond where the waves break and forms one or more offshore sandbars of the longshore bars. Yeah, and this is like what we were just saying, what Angela was bringing up last time, the wintertime and summertime beaches. When they her parents went to Hawaii, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. beach wasn't there. I, I prematurely like, I, sh- I sh- yeah. overshot right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you're exactly right. So during summertime, we see low wave energy and then the, the berm in this time is built at the expense of the longshore bars, which wide berms develop while during winter wintertime, the, the wave energy increases and the longshore bars are built at the expense of the berms. Hmm. So this is really narrowing and flattening the berms. So like, yeah. so we can think of uh, the in the summer, the, the the sand is building out and then right, then that erodes and it builds the bars out here. And then it's kind of like this back and forth, but you know, we get the offshore. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm starting to piece it all together. So <clears throat> let's, I guess we should quickly talk about how sand is in parallel.
parallel movement. So at the same time of perpendicular movement, at the same time, there's a parallel movement of the sediments occurring at the same time. Right. Like I was saying, like it's a zigzagging back and forth of that water motion is referred to as this long, short current. Right. right? So the, 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 the currents have speeds anywhere, whoops, anywhere up to like they can be, you know, four kilometers per hour. And then just to convert that quickly to everyone else out there, it's 2.5 miles per hour. Mm, that was a quick conversion. Yeah. It's, it's like I almost read it down and I'm reading it. <laughs> I would never do yeah, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, so these speeds, they can increase as the beach slope increases, which makes sense. So as the angle at which the breakers arrive at the beach, as wave height increases or as wave frequency will increase. Yeah. So I guess the, the more intensity, yeah, the, yeah. It, it will be faster. So then that movement of sediment we refer to as longshore drift or, you know, it's other terms, I guess you could call it beach drift or whatever mm. you want to call it, but it's that sediment moving. Right. And then simply put, it's, it's, Again, that 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 movement of sediment in a zigzag fashion caused by that longshore current. And both the longshore currents and longshore transport <laughs> transport they occur only within the surf zone and not further offshore because the water is too deep there. Below the wave base, waves don't touch the bottom and they're not going to refract. As a result, the longshore currents they can't form. Yeah, and if they can't form, then we can't have mineral. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Uh, Mineral. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Mineral minutes. Mm. Minerals. <laughs> okay, so this week's Mineral Minute is brought to you by the sodium, calcium, magnesium, aluminum, fluoride silicate, fluoropargosite. Fluoropargosite has a chemical formula <laughs> of... NaCa2 MgAl no sorry Mg4Al Si6Al2O22F2 yeah so fluoropargosite's color is black it streaks gray to greenish gray and has a vitreous luster fluoropargosite has a hardness of six and a specific gravity of 3.18 this mineral is named for its type locality in Edenville town of Warwick Orange <laughs> County New York USA <laughs> That's nothing like its yeah. name <laughs> wow. Well, fluoropargosite has perfect cleavage on the 110 plane, and fluoropargosite has conchoidal fracture. Yeah, and fluoropargosite is biaxially positive with a measured 2V angle of 68 degrees measured. Fluoropargosite is an inosilicate with two periodic double chains, SI4O11, and is a clinoamphibole. Fluoropargosite is part of the monoclinic system, crystal system, and is 2M prismatic. <laughs> Stay tuned for next week's mineral <laughs> fluoro arf fluoro arfidvincite. Oh man! Oh god! Fluoro arfidvincite. <laughs> that was supposed to be our last mineral, but wow! <laughs> I made I made it for the uh, the curious question. Uh, I I it's it's I'll just go ahead and reveal it now. It's fluoro appetite. Oh but yeah, I, but appetite. Yeah. It's been like I don't know. Anyways, I instead of making it a, a funny one, I just made it obnoxiously long. <laughs> there's so Perfect. much. There's so much. Yeah. But on to barrier islands we go. Yeah. So barrier islands are extremely long offshore deposits of sand, and they're going to be parallel. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, God. Okay. They're parallel to the coast, and they form a first-line defense against rising sea levels and high-energy waves, which would otherwise exert their full force directly onto the shore. Right. And not to add to any confusion, but the Barrier Island setting is not only... God dang it. (laughs) 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 I'm just doing it. <laughs> dude, that one that I that I started the like the episode with, yeah. dude. <laughs> okay, anyway. Okay, not to add to any confusion, but the the barrier island setting is not one single environment. Rather, it's really this composite of three separate environments. So the the sandy barrier island chain itself, or the the subtitled subaerial barrier beach complex, the enclosed lagoon estuary or marsh behind it, or the 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 ABC barrier subtitle intertidal complex the channels that cut through the barrier and connect the back barrier lagoon to the open sea which is the subtitle intertidal delta and inlet channel complex so the origin of barrier islands is complex and many appear to have developed during the worldwide rise in sea level that is associated with the melting of glaciers at the end of the most recent ice age about 18,000 or so years ago according to a recent study of global satellite images 2,100 149 barrier islands have been identified worldwide in every climate, every tidal wave combination. Yeah, I think that's interesting, like that they're able to actually see it. For, yeah. like, and, and like they can kind of like make an approximation based on, you know, using satellite images. Right. So. Yeah. And interpret. But I guess also nearly 300 barrier islands ring the Atlantic and Gulf Coast of the United States. And then I, I know they also exist from uh, Massachusetts to eastern Florida in a nearly continuous line. Mm-hmm. And then they also occur discontinuously in the Gulf of Mexico from western Florida into Mexico. They can exceed, and I say they, barrier islands, they can exceed uh, 100 kilometers or 60 miles in length and have widths of several kilometers and are separated from the mainland by a lagoon. And then I'm just going to go off on a tangent here. So you said they, and then you you corrected yourself, right? But so like one of my favorite arguments, or not arguments, but when you get into like Facebook discussion, you know, like little like (laughs) arguments because they like want to be political. Oh, yeah. They're like they. And then, for, so I've written like lots of papers and I always get corrected on Grammarly because I'll, I'll put like they and it's, you know, it comes up unclear antecedent. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> yeah. they're like, what is they referring to? Right. So that's what I always put. A, someone puts they and I'm like, <laughs> who's they? It's an unclear antecedent. Right. But anyways, you made it clear. We yeah, knew what they, you were talking about and it's yeah. barrier islands. So the, the, when you talked about lagoons, back to what you were talking about, this is the place, <laughs> right, that the mythical creatures of mermaids and mermen bask in the sun. The merman pots. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good old Zoolander. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the physiographic features of a barrier island include ocean beaches, dunes, barrier flats, high salt marshes, and low salt marshes. Uh, wind blows that sand inland during the dry periods, and it's going to produce what we call the coastal dunes, and they're going to be stabilized by dune grasses. And these plants, they can withstand all that salt spray and burial by sand. Yeah, it seems like they would need to. And then the dunes, they actually protect the lagoon against excess flooding during storm-driven high tides. And numerous passes exist through the dunes, particularly along the southeastern Atlantic coast, where dunes are less well-developed than to the north. The barrier flat, it forms behind the dunes from sand that's driven through the passes during storms. So shall not pass. Yes, thank you. That was very nice. Grasses, then they're going to quickly colonize those flats. The seawater is going to wash over them during the storms. If the storm wash over the barrier flat happens infrequently enough,
enough, then the plants, they undergo some natural biological succession. And so the grasses successively are replaced by thickets, woodlands, and then we're going to have forest. That's pretty cool that that you can see that in the beaches. Like if you just leave it, I mean, if it's unchanged, then it will will go through that natural progression. It's like the birds come and poop and put bigger (laughs) things. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the salt marshes, they're typically will lie inland of the barrier island and divide into the low marsh, which extends from about mean sea level to the high neap tide line. And then the high marsh, which extends to the highest spring tide line, the, the low marsh is by far going to be the most biologically productive part of the salt marsh. Salt marsh. <laughs> yeah, and the new marshland is formed as overwash carries set sediment into the lagoon and fills portions so they become intermittently exposed by the tides. The marshes may be poorly developed on parts of the island that are far from the the flood tide inlets. Okay. Yeah, and their development is greatly restricted on barrier barrier islands where people, they'll perform these artificial dune enhancements and they fill the inlets in in an attempt to prevent overwashing and flooding. So, so Brian, did you know that barrier islands, they actually, (laughs) they actually, they, they migrate. (laughs) Anytime I hear the word migrate, I think of coconuts and money python. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But but yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> still migrating. <laughs> yeah. Still so migrating. yeah, so so they, they the the gradual sea level rise experience along the the eastern North American coast is causing barrier islands to actually migrate landward. And I and I guess you can think of it like the barrier islands are rolling kind of like over themselves. If we in that kind of sense, yeah, and that would have huge implications on the structures that we build on them. Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, like. <laughs> let's make this super valuable property. But if it, you have any kind of like sea level rise, like it's going to start rolling over. Yeah. But just say the least, right? So how, how do we know that this is happening? And we know that it's happening is from peat deposits. Yeah. So the peats formed from the accumulation of organic matter in marsh environments on the lagoonal side of the barrier island, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I just want to say, what do you call peat that does it again? Repeated. Repeat. Oh. <laughs> peat and repeat. Nice. All right. So yeah, exactly. Like So as, as the sea level rises and peat is formed on the landward side of the island, it has the barrier island itself rolling on top. And eventually, as it continues to migrate, we see the peat layer actually outcrop on the ocean side of the of the barrier island right and i say i say let's geology nerd out a little bit and talk about ancient beach and barrier island sediments and then we can wrap up I yeah guess. yeah i mean we obviously don't do that with the multiple kids that we have but <laughs> yeah. i say let, let's let's do that i like yeah. nerding out so yeah yeah i thought you were gonna say that <laughs> well let's cheers it's close. yeah let's cheers okay. so that was a little bit of a i guess introductory kind of geology level conversations that we were having there but now we're going to switch gears and hurt your brain balls hopefully yeah just a bit. So so shorelines will shift through time in response to factors such as a change in sea level, but also sediment supply. And that's going to cause movement of the shoreline in a landward direction, as we see during rising sea levels. Yeah, yeah, right. So in other words, we're thinking in our heads marine transgressions. Yeah. And the opposite would be a seaward direction during falling sea level. Or 
a marine regression. Yes. So the transgressions or regressions, they can create vertical successions of facies or lithology. And the sediments, as they're deposited in one environment, are overlapped by those deposited in an adjacent environment. So from that, we're going to have vertical profiles developed during regressions are going to differ from those formed during transgressions. So I can think, for for example, regressions of a mainland beach environment or shoreline progradation causes this real stacking of sediment deposited in the beach environment on top of a more, I guess, kind of offshore deposit. Yeah, and so it, it generates a distinct vertical profile, as we call it. So yeah. uh, transgressions produce essentially a reversed vertical profile of the regression in which you'll see more offshore sediments are stacked on top of nearshore sediments. So you'd see like sandstone, shale, limestone, they're going to be general sequences with increasing depth. Yeah, and then I, in the context of what we're talking about with barrier islands, since that specific setting includes back barrier environments as well as beach environments, I, I know that these these vertical profiles we see is a lot more complex than than developed on the mainland, just it just simply a mainland beach. And so, so from what we see, transgressions cause deposition of barrier beach deposits on top of back barrier lagoonal and marsh deposits. Yeah. And this happens as the shoreline moves in landward in that direction, and we briefly mentioned before. But regressions, that that's going to lead to the deposition of back barrier lagoonal and marsh deposits over sand deposits of the barrier beach beach complex as the shoreline progrades. And the generation of the of these transgressive beach and barrier island deposits has been suggested to occur by only two different mechanisms, and that's the landward advance of the shoreline owing to shore face erosion, as might take place during slow rise of sea level, and then also relatively sudden upward jumps, if you will, of the shoreline during rapidly sea level rise. Yeah, and during shoreline retreat, the beach and upper shore face deposits, they're presumably eroded, transported to the lower shore face or offshore completely as storm beds or to the lagoon as washover deposits. The surface generated by marine reworking and erosion during transgression is referred to, wait for it, you ready? I'm, I'm the SAT word of the day. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Ravinement surface. Wow, man, you're just so fancy with your words, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Ravinement surfaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I guess the, the in-place drowning that we see owing to inundation during a rapid rise in sea level could cause a barrier to be covered by water, resulting in this, this, this wave zone moving landward until a new sand barrier forms on the inner side of the lagoon. Right, and like we mentioned earlier, the, the barrier islands can prograde under conditions of high sediment supply relative to the sea level change, and that'll produce the regressive barrier island facies. Under these conditions, though, the, the barriers tend to be transformed into strand planes, and that's going to produce dominantly a sandy facies in which the beach, like the beach, both backshore and foreshore deposits, they're going to overlie foreshore deposits. Are you sure? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think an example of what you're saying of this type of prograditional deposits would be Galveston Island here uh, yeah. in the state of the, the state <laughs> that first gave us no power and no electricity, and now they are offering everyone no masks. Wow, yeah. yeah we, so I, we're talking what a, about Texas. What a wonderful place. Yeah. Come on down. <laughs>
Yeah, so I also wanted to add many ancient examples of beaches and barrier deposits are known. For example, we see in the Cretaceous Gallup sandstones of northwestern New Mexico are reported to be progradational successions of barrier deposits, whereas the Cretaceous Cliff House sandstones in San Juan Basin of northwestern Mexico have been interpreted as a transgressive barrier complex. Yeah, and I, I want to say that other siliciclastic sedimentary successions that are identified as beach and barrier island complexes are present in rocks that widely differ in age here in North America. Yeah. Um, so you'll have like the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania formation in the Appalachian Basin of Kentucky, Virginia, and Tennessee. Another one that comes to mind is the, the lower Cretaceous muddy sandstone of Wyoming and Montana. And then here in Texas, we have the Woodbine Formation, late Cretaceous. And then as you go east, you're going to run into the Eocene Wilcox group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then then there, I guess, the other ones to note are the Lower Cretaceous Edwards Formation of West Texas, the, the Lower Cretaceous Calcrete Formation in Central Texas, and Mississippi and Newman Formation would be examples of ancient stratified units that can contain both carbonate beach deposits. But anyways, I, I guess that about, I guess really, I think we, we nerded out there for a minute. Yeah, we yeah. got to use some of the bigger words we and <laughs> kind of we see the idea that it's more complex. We can see in the, in the vertical profiles. Yeah. Uh, but the interpretation is there, like, so right. we're using kind of that knowledge to see the different things, but yeah, man, that was, that, that was, was good. That was nice, fun, light, yeah, uh, it was. some of a beach. Light wave action. Yeah. A marmar <laughs> in the marmar. <laughs> Let's close things off with a little bit of. All right, so All right. on this, that freaking rocks. I think we're gonna close out the the bottom right quadrants of our um, of our March Madness type of Battle of the Bands. Yeah, because I know next week <clears throat> when we talk with Greta, we're gonna have a conference because she's not she hasn't been I guess paying. We're, this is kind yeah. of like our thing. So <laughs> next week we're gonna have a conference. But when we close things out with the curious listeners uh, part, de, we'll take part it all the way. We're going to uh, close it out to find a winner. So. All right. Uh, we will start with, uh, why don't, I don't even know why we're arguing this one over here. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. On the left, we have say anything versus thrice. We have the used versus the early November dashboard, confessional versus matchbook romance boys night out versus armor for sleep. <laughs> okay. All right. So <laughs> yeah, you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Should I make you flip for it? <laughs> no, no, no I won't do that. <laughs> I mean, just, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't think I've. I, I may have or I may not have, but I haven't heard of anything uh, say anything. I'm like, what? It's it's um it's good. It's it's very good. It's very like what I would call whimsical kind of. I don't even know like what the genre would be. It's not even I, I don't know. Just it's just whimsical music. But I guess it really doesn't matter because we're gonna go. Yeah. Th- we're going thrice. thrice. Yeah, because I mean, like we already know it's like one of your like, if not most. You have tattoos of all other stuff, but you're like, oh, thrice. But okay, so the used versus the early November. That one's hard for me. I I will go just because I'm again like some of these I don't know, so I I do know the used. So I'm gonna go with the used. And I'm gonna go with the early November because I I have liked the used for a long time. The early November kind of stopped before they got annoying. 
Okay. And they were one of the first, like, I'd say, I call them emo, but that kind of genre. That was one of the first bands that I listened to that I actually really liked. Okay. Well, then we have ourselves another uh, coin flip, which is going to be heads is going to be for the used. And then early November is going to be tails. Uh, I'm going to do this. What is it? It is heads. All right. The used prevails. The used prevails. Not I prevail or pierce the veil. (laughs) Why are they not on here? Because I, I think this was before their oh, time. Okay. All right. Our next battle comes to us from Dashboard Confessional versus Matchbook Romance. Mm, I've not really listened to Matchbook Romance. I haven't either, but so, I would I would have gone Dashboard yeah, Confessional I mean, anyway because I mean, like they... It, he's I got think, some cool songs. I think when we were in high school, like I he don't... like up. Yeah, and, yeah, but everyone was like, oh, like they're such a douchey band like there's no way i liked it yeah like but like if you how can you you listen to it and you're just like you feel it oh yeah it, you feel like it. if you're a teenager in high school like he was writing for that that young adult like early like or late teen kind of thing and it was it was felt it, it was very felt and they move on to the quarterfinals, semifinals, the quarterfinals. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, all right. In our next bracket, or not next bracket, we have in our in our next, we have Boys Night Out versus <laughs> Armor for Sleep. I feel like I refrain from listening to any band that their name is Boys Night Out. But you a fuck boy, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> fuck boy. Fuck boy. <laughs> I'm going uh, for Armor for Sleep. Yeah, they, they I, have I like, cool songs. Yeah, they do. And their yeah. their last album, or I don't know if it was their last album. I'm gonna. Oh, dang it. Anyways, yeah, no, I, I rocked out to Armor for Sleep. Yeah, yeah. Armor for... Let me out. Let me out. I am tough. <laughs> Anyways, okay. All right. Do you want to lead off the... Yeah. Because I lost it here. So the next one will be... So we're... Into we're to, to the next bracket, right? Yeah, this is the, the lower right quadrant. So we're going to start off and we have... Did you read them all off before? Or you just kind of no. I okay. mean, we can just go straight into okay. it. Okay. Like, so we have the audition versus Jimmy World. All right, man. If if you fail me on <laughs> this one, dude, Jimmy World. <laughs> <laughs> about this, oh my god. Yeah, uh, dude. Like Jimmy World, I think was it amazing, dude, absolutely like, amazing. Uh, they, what was that? Was it the sickness? Is that what that song was called? Or, which one? Oh, no, that's not it. I can't remember now, but there was a song like they always had that like upbeat, like poppy kind of sound. But then they came out with this one song that just it kind of stood out from everything. I cannot remember. Dude, so like I from because uh, I, I don't really remember. Well, I, I know like a few songs. That song. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like, so uh, are you listening? Yeah, anyways, so from like, I I knew songs before the album of Bleed American, but, um, you know, Futures. Yeah. Fucking killed. It's so good. Like pain. Yeah. Like I remember, I, anyways, so yeah, Jimmy World, Um, you might make it to the. the, the yeah, it could be. I think it's probably going to end up, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. All right, so next we have Copeland and Yellow Card. God dang it. Yeah, this is... I wish they wouldn't have put them together. I wish they wouldn't have either. I like Copeland a lot. Like, that guy's voice is so smooth. It's one of the smoother voices that I've heard, but they... um, I don't know, yellow card with a violin. Like, it's just so good. Like, they, the high energy they Dude, have. Dude, like, they're way more memorable. Yeah. But uh, I think, like, if I were to go album per album... 
if you were to look on my phone right now, I have like three or four albums from Copeland, and yeah. I, I have a song by Yellow, two, two <laughs> songs by point. Yellow Card. That one album of Yellow Card that they like made it big with, that's the good album, and really all the others are, in my opinion, garbage. So I'm I'm gonna go Copeland. Okay, I am gonna go Copeland as well. Uh, if you ask Angela, this is so like uh, eat, sleep, repeat, and in motion. Like it was on like steady when I was doing undergrad, like uh, with geology. Uh, yeah. It was it was a steady motion. Um, and I this this song right here. But she's like she's always like a oh I guess we're gonna oh so good dude like I don't know if we're gonna get in trouble for playing this. I don't think so. But anyways, so yeah, that uh, is, yeah. So yeah. she's like, it's that band that they're like, ah, like the, ah. I know, yeah. Okay, so, so 4B, we have Copeland winning. Yeah, so. That was a hard one, like, but I do yellow I, card on its own, like, I think. If they, yeah, if they had that, if they would have stuck to that kind of feel of that album, which any anyone that says a band should write a certain way forever, that's not good, but. They just were a lot better then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. Like yeah. Weezer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next one. Uh, okay. All right. So the spill canvas or synth versus senses fail. <laughs> and remember one. I don't know anything of the other band. <laughs> so we're, okay. So, so I'm going to go they senses were, fail. And I'm going to go spill canvas. Did you, did you listen to the song that I that No. I, okay. Hold on. I'm just going to just, just because I have it and I'm connected to the, the thing. So, <laughs> and. I can do what I want. Newer. No, this is, I don't know, is it? This is uh, 2004. Oh. So this is, this reminds me of, when I was in Iraq, I listened to this, but it was this. And it's 4 a.m. <laughs> and we will start again the princess and your better queen. It's like his singing, but yeah. the, the riffs kick ass. Oh, uh, yes, yes. I just want to get to it. Yeah, I mean, like, so high energy, so good. But the but singing, the singing is kind of, like... terrible. Yeah, so... Yeah. That's going on in the background. Yeah. Maybe I'll subliminally just keep playing these in the background, <laughs> and you're just gonna be like, man, since this fail, I wrote yeah. this song, I'm gonna like it. Okay, so what? So we're going... Are we flipping we're on this flipping. one? We're flipping. Okay, the so... heads is spill canvas. Okay. Heads it is. All right, spill, spill canvas. canvas. All right. And then we're going to last canvas. This is... A, I wish they wouldn't have put these two together, but the, the answer is easy for me. So, um... Emery versus Finch. Okay, you go first then. So I Emery, I like multiple albums. Some of them are up there in like probably my top ten albums. Um, Finch has a really good album called What It Is to Burn. It is incredible. Um, that's why I hate that they're put together. Um, yeah. But I will say Emery. I think Emery has more talent um, and longevity. Yes. It's like a pencil with the races at both ends. I want it all, but we're dealing in process. So good. So good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, Emory. All right. All right. So, all right. So, these have all made it to the next round. I'm going to, in case that people forgot from 
from the first one. So in our bracket one, we had Hawthorne Heights winning. We had Chiodos, Alexis on Fire, Circa Survive. Mm-hmm. In our in the in the other category, category two, we had Sousen, Taking Back Sunday, Under Oath, My Chemical Romance. And then tonight we had Thrice, the used dashboard confessional, uh, if I could spell that right. Uh, and then we had Armor for Sleep. And then we had Jimmy World, Copeland, Spill Canvas, and we have Emery. All going on to the, the quarterfinals. So again, um, that's going to be, I guess, it for right, unless you have anything to to add. No, man, this was a solid episode. I really enjoyed it. It was very, very beachy. And to all of those that, uh, I guess, made it to the end and stuck with us, we appreciate it. Next week, we're going to be talking about reefs. And then I think that's really going to close it up for the sedimentary basins for the next little while. Because I think in season three, we do talk about oil and gas, but that's yeah. more specific. I mean, I'm really excited about season three, but we'll, yeah, we'll, get, we'll get into it. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is episode 23. We have 24 and then we turn a quarter of a century that's crazy 25 man. yeah i oh, mean dude you know but i i really do want to say a big thank you to our listeners because i mean it, it does like it truly makes my day whenever i'm just sitting there and i'm just like sitting and then i'm like oh we just got an email or we get a message from somebody and i'm like it's just the, that's awesome the the simple idea that that we just you know an idea and now you know but it's it's so it's it's fun talking about it, but it makes it even more enjoyable to you, the listener. So yeah, I guess uh, with that, we will close things off. So uh, we invite you to remember to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep, keep it, it on the, the rocks. rocks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think I did that Next one on time. purpose. <laughs> Do you know, I, dude, I, I liked playing the music with it. Like, yeah, I forgot yeah. that like... I, I completely did too. Yeah, so we could have been doing next that all time. next time. Yeah, yeah. We'll each, for the winners that we want, we'll each have, have a, a song. song ready. Yeah, yeah, a song ready. Okay. I think, I think that would work. <laughs> <laughs>